Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello, I'm Andrew Doyle and welcome to Headliners. Joining me tonight are a pair of comedians whose interests surpass mere mortals. One has a passion for gerbils, only rivaled by Richard Gere, it's Leo Kurse, and the other so infatuated with lawn mowing, he makes Capability Brown look like an amateur, it's Paul Cox. Uh, absolute freaks, the boast of both of them. Let's take a look at tomorrow's front pages and we start with the Daily Mail. Daily Mail leads with picture of innocence to shame lawless Britain. That's the absolutely horrific uh, story of uh, Olivia pratt Bell, who uh, was, uh, was shot in Manchester, um, Manchester, Liverpool, sorry. We're going to get to that in a moment. The Telegraph says EU feared to be losing will to back Ukraine. Apparently the cost of living is biting and um, there are fears among diplomats that people are going to stop supporting Ukraine in the current conflict. The Guardian runs with fury as a grain giant's profit from unjust hunger crisis. Financial Times now and shielding families from fuel bill shock reckoned to cost 10 billion. And also a story there, Twitter, Twitter the extent of fake accounts and data flaws. According to a whistleblower, there's a, they've been hiding uh, those fake accounts. That's maybe why Elon Musk isn't buying it after all. Anyway, the mirror says, freeze our bills now. And also unbearable, that horrible story of the, the murder. The Times says, red arrows engulfed by bullying and assault row. And the front cover of the Daily Express also has the story about Olivia Pratt-Corbell and goes with just a child, innocent victim of gun wars. The Daily Star, as ever, bucks the trend, goes with yes, yes, yes. And that's to do with, uh, apparently, scientists are saying that regular sex boosts your health as much as giving up the booze and the fags. All right, well, uh, we might cover that later on. Anyway, those are your front covers. So obviously lots of the covers uh, are being dominated by the tragic shootings in Liverpool, Leo. And this one, we've got the Express here. Yes, yeah, so uh, this is a totally tragic crime. So uh, basically a, a man was being chased uh, by another man, uh, a gunman, and uh, he forced his way. So the, a mother in her home opened the door to see what the commotion was outside. Yeah. And this man who's been chased uh, sort of for forced his way inside. Uh, so the guy who was chasing him with a gun uh, stuck the gun into the door and just started firing indiscriminately by the, by the sounds of things yeah. and shot, uh, shot the man, uh, shot uh, other people, but shot uh, fatally wounded uh, this nine-year-old child. So a completely, obviously, uh, completely innocent victim. And just what sort of, what sort of country are we in where uh, you know, people can run around with guns just like without yeah. fear of, uh, of anything bad happening to them, I mean, without fear of prosecution, without fear of police being there. I so mean, the police were probably too busy painting some rainbow-coloured or, you know, arresting well, somebody for a tweet. Not that I'm saying the police just focus on tweets and things like that, but they do arrest people for tweets and there's stuff like this going on. There's a lot of unsolved thing. crime, that's for, that's for sure. I mean, there's also just this incredible lack of empathy here. This man shot 
into the door, you know, shot the, ch yeah. the child and the mother, and then went on to barge in and shoot the other man. I mean, it's a yeah. completely horrific, repugnant... I mean, uh, I don't expect a lot of empathy from the sort of criminals who are going to be running around with a gun shooting people. So, I mean, right. I, I don't no. expect criminals to have empathy. What I expect are, is the authorities to deal with it and to create an environment where people don't feel that they can do this kind of thing. So, of course, this is in the wake of... There was also the stabbing of the 87-year-old gentleman who was raising money for Ukraine. So, And a lot of the discussions around this topic, Paul, at the moment, are, as Leo has intimated there, about whether or not law and order is out of control. Whether Are we actually... Do we need to do something different? Well, I think... I mean, first of all, this is harrowing. You know, as a father myself, a daughter of a similar age, I found this story entirely upsetting... All day, my thoughts go out to the family. But we do. I mean, this, this is happening on a ridiculously regular basis. Yeah. And I don't mean nine-year-old girls getting shot in the safety of their own home, as tragic and terrible as that is. But the crime you mentioned just before, where the 87-year-old guy is stabbed to death yes. in his mobility scooter, this doesn't feel like... It's a one-off anymore. And knife crime uh, is, is escalating True. continually. Yeah. You know, and, and as Leo does say, I mean, it sounds flippant, but it, it, there is a point to this. Yeah. The police are spending a lot of their time investigating things like non-crime hate incidents, uh, uh, you know, sort of demonstrating their credentials when it comes to this ideology. And if, uh, if, they're not, if they're not actually attending, you know, a pride parade or, you know, putting up some sort of float or whatever it is or yeah. painting something rainbow-coloured, then they're attending staff training around, you know, how to identify microaggressions in the workplace. The optics are terrible from, yeah. from well, they the police are. perspective. They I mean, is are it, terrible. Is it just that they need more funding or is it that actually the funding needs to be distributed and spent in a wiser way? I mean, surely there is a criticism to be made there. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's it's difficult to blame the beat officers that mm. we're, we probably see at the festivals or on the fates or whatever it might be, because they are following instructions that come from a high. Sure. You know, it's, it starts at policing college and it cascades down. Mm. We need to change how the country views the police. And we can only do that by focusing on crimes as serious as this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the perception of the police at the moment couldn't be lower, really. But anyway, we're going to move on now to Wednesday's Sun. Some good news, though. Yeah, Paul. I'd say this is this is very good news. Student nurse uh, Awami Davies has been found safe and well. This almost... rarely happens, does it? You know, well, you, someone's it... reported missing, and you just assume the worst now, don't you? You, you absolutely do. And I mean, this is a very serious story, and there are a lot of questions for the police to answer. But it's now starting to read like an episode of Tales of the Unexpected. <laughs> yeah. it, it started off uh, as the suspicion of murder. Five guys. Five guys were arrested, and now all of a sudden she's found um, in Hampshire like a retired cricketer. Yeah, th but this article isn't really clear about where she was in this interim period or why why she'd no. gone missing. If it was five guys, they probably wanted to turn her into burgers. So maybe that's the solution to mm. this. Oh, who knows? But they were, we are low on details on this one. I mean, I've read the whole article, but we don't really know what happened, do we? Yeah, I mean, hopefully after... I mean, the, the, peop the five men who've been arrested and yeah. bailed, I'm assuming they're men... Uh, once that investigation has fulfilled itself, we'll know a bit more about what's going on. Yeah, maybe. OK, we're going to move on now to Wednesday's Independent, and it seems the government may not be able to quell the winter of our discontent, Leo. Yeah, so government support for households facing rocketing energy bills is much too low to prevent a catastrophic crisis this winter. Mm. An energy boss is warned. So this is the uh, EDF director, Philippe Comoret, 
Uh, I mean, EDF is a French company, so that would make sense. But uh, apparently forecasts are that more than half of British households, 45 million people, will be trapped in fuel poverty by January. I mean, that's horrendous, so, isn't it? Yeah, and, uh, and it's not going to stop at January. Apparently by April, uh, our, our uh, off-gems price cap is going to be up at around £6,000. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's a ridiculous amount. OK, well, what about this idea that Truss and Sunak have sort of suggested? They've mooted this idea of a scrapping VAT on household energy all, bills. Is, it, is this going to do anything? All the solutions that have been uh, posited by politicians are absolute nonsense. They, they, talk about, uh, they talk about price caps, they talk about subsidies and giving handouts to people. Yeah. The problem is there's not enough energy. There's right. not enough energy no. because we rely on gas from Russia. And without that gas from Russia, there isn't enough so, gas. Paul, so, uh, Leo often talks on this show about the need for fracking yeah. and the need to, to take control of our own energy resources. Right? <laughs> and, and he does enjoy those rants. But I would like to hear what you think about do you think that is the solution? Well, fracking is one of the solutions. It has to be, doesn't it, alongside nuclear? No, no, people are divisive to say that fracking is one of the solutions, but it clearly is. You have to have all options on the table now because gas, yeah. the wholesale gas price, is not going to change. Is it going to come down? No. I mean, and the things the government are offering, it's a bit like your nan giving you 50p to go on holiday. It makes no difference <laughs> whatsoever. But even if, even if we implement measures to, to sort of set up nuclear reactors that might benefit us in the future, they're not really going to help very rapidly, are they? No, you know? nothing's going to happen. If we're going to have half the country in fuel poverty, I mean, that's worse than I thought. We could build more terminals to take, uh, to take liquefi liquefied gas. We could start fracking right now. Do it right now. Then at least it'll be ready for, for a year's time when, when we're in. The trouble with subsidies is all they do, because there isn't enough gas there, if we subsidise people's use of gas, yeah. it doesn't restrict their use. The price is going up because there's not enough gas. So if we subsidise it, they don't restrict their use. So that just means that the price goes up even more. So What about, about nationalisation? <laughs> Is that your only answer? Just a be bellow of laughter there. Well, <laughs> problem is, there isn't enough gas. Nationalisation, we can do whatever we want. We can, we can paint it purple. It doesn't matter. There's not enough gas. I'm just mooting it because Gordon Brown suggested this is a possible option. <laughs> Gordon Brown has suggested a lot of things that have led the country into the <laughs> devastation we're in now. So, you know, whether it's devolution, whether it's the Iraq war, I don't, I don't want to hear from former Labour. It, it was, and it always has been, ridiculously... Uh, intangible to me mm. to understand what this might mean. So I think I read something today or yesterday in the Daily Mail, so forgive me, I'm quoting something I'm not entirely sure about. But it's, to put it into context, it's like the price rises like a pint of lager being £33. Oh, it's insane, And yeah. a packet of cigarettes being over £100. Mm. That is the equivalent of what we're seeing in this rise in gas and electricity prices, because they're tied together. Yeah, 30 quid for a pint. I mean, I live in London, so I'm used to that. So, yeah, it's quite yeah. cheap. Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> anyway, on to Wednesday's Financial Times and the economic climate not looking great, Paul. It's not, is it? No. And, uh, you know, it goes without saying, Eurovision business, uh, Eurozone business. <laughs> wow, that's a not different Eurovision, story. No Eurovision, although it is coming home. It is coming home. <laughs> uh, second place is coming home. Eurozone, <laughs> business, Eurozone business activity has suffered its biggest contraction in 18 months as a result of higher prices, uh, falling demand and rising inventories of unsold goods. And this is presumably also to do with Russia's uh, gas supply. It is, isn't it? and I think probably the resolution to all of this is to stop the war. With, with Russia. Now, you can argue how that could be done. It could be done a number of ways. You could defeat Russia. You could just say, that, that's enough, guys. Can we get back to normal? But 
it's that that is that is causing all these problems at the moment. I know some people say that it's not just that, but it pretty much is. Yeah, but so so it needs to be resolved, is what you're saying. But the problem is that a lot of, a lot of diplomats are now saying that support for Ukraine is going to be mitigated because of this kind of thing. Yeah. And is that not a worry, actually? Yeah, that worries me because I mean, Ukraine is basically the front line between Western liberal democracy and autocracy, you know, dictatorship, totalitarianism. And, uh, and Russia, is, Putin has been very clever in using gas, using energy as a weapon yeah. of war. Yeah. Very and, effective. And also, uh, you know, with the, with the lower rainfall we've seen, Germany, which is, you know, the heart of Europe, basically, can't get gas uh, up the Rhine. Uh, to, and so much of the German economy is, is fueled by, by cheap natural gas. So if they can't get the gas up the Rhine, you know, yes. through alternative routes, uh, Nord Stream's been, been cut off. By Russia, uh, then the German economy is, is kaput. Yeah, I think, I think the German moral of this lesson is don't rely on Russia yeah, for I, anything. <laughs> Trump, Trump said this years ago and everybody laughed at him. But, yeah. laughed we, at him like but we headed. don't rely on them as much as other countries, do we? But we are tied into this. There's no escaping sure. it. Sure. It's, it's so expensive now, isn't it? It's just yeah. ridiculous. It's, you can see rappers' videos in 2023 just leaving the lights on. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, that's the, the, to show their wealth. Look at us, you yeah. know, we left the lights on. <laughs> Wednesday's Guardian Now and abortions, Leo. Good luck with that one. Yeah, so uh, women in England and Wales will be able to permanently access early medical abortions at home from next week after ministers were forced to abandon plans to scrap the pills by post service. So over, over lockdown, when people couldn't go to the doctors and, uh, and have a face-to-face -face consultation, uh, they offered this, uh, this abortion pill uh, by post. Um, unlike a lot of things that were introduced over lockdown that this, were obviously cheaper for the NHS, they've, they've decided to, to keep it on. Like antenatal classes are still done over Zoom, which you know completely defeats right. the point yeah. of meeting other other parents and stuff. Um, and you know, there's some issues with this because you know these pills are really only for uh, if you if you got um, uh, a, a fetus that's below 10 weeks. This is a, a very early stages in pregnancy. Very isn't it? early stage. Well, I mean, up up to 10 weeks, which isn't so early. So I mean, the the general sort of uh, balance for abortion in total, I think in, in Ireland it's 12 weeks. Uh, I think in uh, in the UK it's about. I'm not sure what it is. In I the, thought it was around 24. Yeah, well, 24 is when the the fetus is viable. But but what was the concern with uh, not allowing people to do this at home? Is it that other people might use the pills or something like that? Yeah, so people uh, that are beyond 10 weeks might use these pills. Right, I see. Paul, any thoughts on this? It's not something that I suppose you've had to think too much about. No, I haven't. But I think uh, the more that women have control over their own bodies the less of an issue I have with it, to be honest. I know that um, that could be seen as controversial, but from my perspective, it just goes to prove that we're a free country. And in comparison to America, we are, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, but what about the, what about the body of the baby? Now, th this uh. is getting into the debate about abortion, and that's, yeah. Uh, yeah, which we could do, but it's going to be the rest of the show, <laughs> isn't it? Anyway, let's be honest, and we're not going to get anywhere with that. I've, you, I've, I've had that debate on, the, on my show with, with, uh, with two women, one who was pro, one who was against, and it, it was really fascinating. Yeah. They did a lot of justice to it, and I fear that we wouldn't quite replicate that, maybe. No. Anyway, let's move on to Wednesday's Times. And in London, you're never more than six feet away from a rat. I fear in Edinburgh... That's not going to be quite accurate. Have you seen it? Have you seen the pictures? Unbelievable pictures, yeah. Disgusting. I mean, even worse than normal. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> rats have taken over and replaced mice as the main vermin in Edinburgh. Now, uh, Leo and I were talking about this. We still believe it's the landlords in Edinburgh that are yeah. the vermin. I think, I think it's the reviewers. Yeah, <laughs> yes. So yeah. why has this happened? So there's been a strike... Yes. Among, among, among people who remove the refuse, empty the bins. Pay rises again. Yeah, OK. Off 3%, but off 5%. Be 
going on for five five days, I think they say now. Is it... Yeah, this is looking like it could go all the way to the 30th of, of, of August, which yeah. would be longer than five days, I think. And you're right, Paul, the, the photographs of like the bins and the, even like, apparently people getting on the trains, they have to step over refuse to get onto the trains. I mean, this place, it's, it's starting to look like something out of Mad Max. Mm. It's, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's, it, it, it's filthy. And, you know, I've read this story from top to bottom and at no point to the SNP take that accepts any fault or yep. blame for this whatsoever. They're yeah. even blaming the Labour MSP, uh, the, the Labour Council in Edinburgh. But surely, surely at some point, Nicola Sturgeon, the SNP, have to take or have to accept the fault for some of well, these surely. things. Well, surely. Leo, didn't I see you get into a spat about this online because someone, some comedian had complained about it yeah. and a Scottish nationalist had said, well, why don't you go back to your fascist country, England, or something. Something really extreme, this yeah, response. Matt Ford had, uh, had you know, tweeted the, the picture of the bins overflowing yeah. and, the, and the rats and everything. And, uh, yeah, Scottish nationalist said, you know, oh, you're English, you know, you should go back home. Which is, oh, yeah, it's just the... The lovely, and also he was saying uh, Scotland's a progressive country. Why don't you go back home? It's like, is that really progressive? Yeah, it, it, it was a bit hypocritical, scream, wasn't it? To scream at somebody surely, from another country to go back home. It's a legitimate complaint from Matt Ford that you know you can't get anywhere because there's rubbish everywhere. Yeah, and like Paul says, the, the buck stops with the SNP, so they cut funding to Edinburgh Council, whose responsibility it, it is. And obviously, Edinburgh Council have wasted a huge amount of money over the years on the trams, which you know. Have, went way over budget. I remember that in Edinburgh, like during the Fringe. It, was, yeah. it went on for years and years. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's still going on. And, uh, and the SNP have wasted so much money on ferries that, that don't, even, don't even go anywhere. Yeah. The, the SNP, have, you know, we really need to open the books in the SNP because... We've got an so image, much, by the way, of the... There's so much money has gone from That's Westminster gross, and they can't even clean up the bins. Yeah, it's no, it's not... ridiculous. Really, really not good. And the worst possible time, yeah. given the festival is on. And it's, I think uh, it's the best possible time. <laughs> I, just, I just love the fact that as well as having uh, have a performance like three people, comedians are having to, they don't even have anywhere to put their costa. I mean, think of the hygiene issues. I mean, Edinburgh Fringe, it's unhygienic at the best of times. There's all sorts of infections going around, but that's yeah. just going to exacerbate it. Yeah, apparently it stinks. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> you, you can't see it, but apparently it absolutely stinks. Well, people. I've spoken to you out there. Good. Oh, I'm glad I'm not doing the Fringe this year. Let's crack on. Back with Wednesday's Times now. And apparently the internet is not the most conducive place for level-headed analyses of complex interpersonal issues, Leo. Yeah. Who'd have thought? <laughs> I thought it was. I thought Twitter, with its 12-character <laughs> limit, was the perfect place for this. So a novelist accused of trivialising a death threat against J.K. Rowling has conceded that the internet is not the best place to have complicated discussions. So this is Joanne Harris, who uh, wrote Chocolat, uh, which is French for chocolate, uh, and was accused... You're showing off now. <laughs> a multilingual. Uh, was accused of taking a sideswipe at Rowling in the hours after the attempted murder of Sir Salman Rushdie in New York. Uh, so she posted a poll on uh, social media, apparently mocking Rowling. Uh, so Rowling had, had said, you know, she got death threats as well. And uh, uh, this uh, Harris um, post posted saying, uh, fellow authors, have you ever received a death threat, credible or otherwise? Suggesting that J the death threat against J.K. Rowling wasn't credible. By the way, Harris is a trans son because she's middle class in 2022. So the one of the, the reasons why so many people are angry is because Joanne Harris, you know, is the chair of the Society of Authors mm. uh, and has failed repeatedly to defend all of these women who are getting death threats and rape threats. You know, we had people like Rachel Rooney, Kate Clanchy, uh, we've had Judy Bindle, uh, J.K. Rowling, of course, has had so many death threats. She says she can paper the house with them. So uh, is That'd it? That'd be interesting. It, well, well. I mean, it would be an interesting avant-garde statement, but uh, quite chilling. But don't you think, like, 
someone like in her position, it isn't really council culture, I, I don't think. It's not people saying because of Joanne Harris's opinion she should lose the job, which isn't paid, by the way, anyway. The point is it's she's... not paid. It's not, no. Why did she do she, it? Well, well, this is my question. Paul. Well, she said, I felt I got the tone wrong. Well, wow. Uh, of course she got the tone yeah. wrong. I mean, when is a death threat credible or not credible? Even I, if Mr I, Blobby is making the death threat, it's a credible death it's, threat. It's something that should be taken a, seriously. Because there's a man inside Mr Blobby. Well, so even though Mr Blobby himself doesn't look like he do we know that? you. Imagine if it was, uh, you know, one of uh, Jihadi John inside the Mr Blobby suit. It could be. Yeah. You don't know who's inside that suit. We've no evidence. Just I think not... we're digressing slightly, but I, I, I like the maybe Mr Blobby chat, but I just do wonder about this idea. Paul, what do you think about whether someone who is, who's the constitution or whatever they call of the Society of Authors is to protect authors and their right to free speech. Shouldn't they have spoken out because J.K. Rowling has had thousands and thousands of death threats? Yes, and they, and, and they didn't speak out in the way they should have done because it's J.K. Rowling. I yeah. don't know what it is about J.K. Rowling. I mean, and I know everything there is to know about... The, the, the perceived problems with J.K. Rowling, but I don't know what it is that makes everybody else in the world think they can undermine everything that she does. Yeah, it's a very strange one. Yeah, do you think she should step down then, or do you think do you think this could be perceived as cancel culture? No, step we... down from an unpaid role. <laughs> yeah. no, I think our punishment should be to do it more. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, I think that's going to go on and on anyway. But uh, anyway, we're going to move on to another story now. This is Wednesday's Guardian, uh, and they are the thing they accuse you of once again, Paul. Oh, yes. Canada cuts anti-racism programme after lead consultants' vile tweets. I mean, this is the sort of stuff that keeps Leo Curse in work. It, why it's is it... May it continue. And long may it continue, <laughs> yeah. Laith Maruth tweeted a series of offensive anti-Semitic messages spurring the federal government to cut funding to the initiative. So... Once again, we find ourselves in a... Why is it always the anti-racist or the pro-feminist man, it tends to be the man, that ends up being the least feminist and the most racist? It's very odd. And there's, <laughs> and there's also a real blind spot with anti-Semitism. I mean, we saw this before oh, what, with sure. the, the cricket story with the man who, had, who complained about experiencing racism and then they went back through his tweets yeah. and there were some really horrific anti-Semitic tweets. Well, so, and, what, and he'd also uh, tried to chat up a young teenage girl on a plane and plied her with alcohol. So, so. you know, if you're going to throw stones in a glass house, you know, what's going like, to... There's something weird about this. There have also been um, activists in America who've been associated with the Black Lives Matter movement who have, there have been anti-Semitic anti-Semitic tweets come out, anti-Semitic ideas. Well, the, What's going on? There's a trope in leftist culture uh, that says, and you see this from, uh, from Momentum, from Jeremy Corbyn's uh, you know, Labour Party, uh, all the way through to Black Lives Matter. There's a, there's a trope that, um, that Jews control the media, that Jews uh, control banking and, and all this sort of stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's disgusting. And uh, also they don't see, for some reason, you know, people talk about minorities. I mean, Jews are the ultimate minority. There's, like, 14 million of them worldwide yeah. compared yeah. to, like, over 2 billion but, Muslims. But, but it's just inconsistent. If you're going to call yourself anti-racist, but you're going to yeah. say, oh, except for that race, yeah. which well, we, that race we can have a go at, yeah. but otherwise we're anti-racist. It's just, it's self... How, how can it not be self-discredited? Well, how does it's it ridiculous. help their cause in any way, shape or form? What, there, there is an ignorance there, isn't there? They don't, these people don't see... 
beyond this. You know, they get caught, they go in again, they choose another anti-racist who turns well, out to be racist. It's the same people tweeting saying, I hope JK Rowling dies, hashtag be kind. Yeah. You know, love wins. You know, they think they're the good guys and they are displaying all of those characteristics that they purport to hate. It's really annoying. So much of it hinges on the Israel-Palestine conundrum sure. because, yeah. uh, you know, they, they say, um, you know, Palestine should be, should be liberated. And uh, the thing is, I mean, people have tried to liberate Palestine uh, before the Six-Day War, uh, when Israel... You know, pe the, the countries around Israel have tried to wipe out the Jews inside it, you know, repeatedly throughout its history. And they've been quite open about their intentions, their quite, genocidal intentions. Genocidal We're intentions. And also, and also Israel, you know, for all its faults, is the one country in the Middle East that's got uh, equal rights for women, for gays, uh, it's democratic, and uh, so why why is it the one country out of the entire Middle East that the leftists always single out? It does seem for, to happen criticism again and again. Anyway, we need to move on. This is Wednesday's Telegraph. What is going on in the civil service? Well, I know a lot of bad things, but what specifically is this story about, Leo? So, a former civil servant is suing the Environment Agency, claiming he was sacked for refusing to positively discriminate in favour of women. There's a guy called Kevin Legg. Uh, he's 50 years old. He worked at the Quango for 16 years. Nice cushy run. And uh, he's <laughs> arguing that he was sacked for not being a feminist and that feminism is a belief system he does not adhere to. This sounds like malicious compliance to, uh, well, yeah. to, to rules, because basically he was moonlighting as a counsellor while he was uh, supposed to be working full-time for them. Uh, but he's saying it's because uh, he uh, refused to do their bidding. You know, in yeah, they basically said, you've got to employ women, you should, must discriminate. Yeah. I mean, I do, I do get a bit tired of this idea that the employers can just discriminate on the basis of uh, skin colour or sex or sexuality, and that's OK now. <laughs> it shouldn't be OK. That's sh that should always be bad, right? Yeah, should just hire the best person, right? Well, we, th there should be equality, but this isn't equality, is it? Everything that's being discussed here isn't equality. Equality would mean that mega-feminists and wallies like Kevin can exist in the same working, pl working place, and tolerance would be there. We would accept that, wouldn't we? It feels like we've moved way beyond that now, and everything must be as zealous as it possibly can. Well, there's an issue with the civil service in particular. I mean, the civil service is absolutely rife uh, with these ideologues who, who, yeah. who, who go along with these woke ideas. Like, it's, abs it's a real problem. Yeah. And, they, they will, they, and, of course, the civil service, the machinery of government, has to be impartial yeah. in order to do its job. I'm not entirely sure that these people are that way. I think they're incentivised to be this way. And well, who knows why? Who knows what's going through their mind? But, I mean, it's absolutely clear that it's happening. And it could be that it's a really easy way to pull yourself up the greasy pole. Oh, for sure. If, if, you, I mean. you know, if you run a few... Uh, diversity workshops and stuff. Yeah. People love you for that. You get promotions, it's fantastic, it's and you get a lot of money. Again now. Although, to be a little more prosaic, uh, this guy was working as a counsellor during his working hours, which was uh, said to be having an adverse effect on his duties. As having another job. I mean, if I was working as a counsellor <laughs> right now, it would probably be distracting me from doing this job. It would, so I hope you don't do that. You've got to focus. Anyway, Wednesday's Telegraph now. And who better to opine about the characteristics of Generation Z than three total boomers? <laughs> Paul, you're, you're technically Gen X, aren't you? I am, yeah, 1979, which makes me Gen, Gen X. Gen X, just actually. Oh, no, actually, you might be a millennial. No, no he's I'm not. Definitely not. Oh, you're not. He's I, I one year out from being a millennial. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd have been allowed in the door. I think that's some criteria. <laughs> Uh, unambitious Gen Z uh, is about to get a rude awakening, as we said. Taking a lower salary for more freedom and less work may appeal, but the cost of living crisis means a, a harsher winter for for quiet quitters. Now, I didn't know what quiet quitters... Do we, by the way, do you know what quiet quitters are? No. Because I had to look this up. Quiet quitting is essentially renouncing the hustle culture. So these, this is a generation of people who are quitting the idea of going above and beyond at work. Yeah. And um, 
Well, I mean, there's lots I'm of people quitting it, their no. jobs in, since the pandemic. Yeah, and it's not, by the way, if you read the article, it's not just about Gen Zs, which I think are born between 97 and 2012. It's over 50s as well. And I think at some yeah, yeah. point, somebody makes a complaint. Uh, John Lewis, uh, Dame Sharon White, recently blamed early retirees for spiralling wage inflation. It's not as silly as it sounds. I mean, we've had thousands and thousands of people in their 50s and above taking early retirement because they got used to not working. Turns out not working is great. <laughs> it's really fun yeah. just being, I'm yeah, not the, doing anything. The government should never have had furlough and lockdown and introduced people to the concept of not doing any work because not doing any work is much more fun than doing work. But I would also say that leisure time is important. If you've read um, The Soul of Man Under Socialism by Oscar Wilde, he writes about this idea that leisure time is what civilises us. The, the, right. so, oh. so maybe we should follow in Oscar Wilde's footsteps and not do any work. I might just go home now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should, shall we? Well, I mean, there's something in it. Anyway, Wednesday's independent now. And to a man I've looked up to my entire life, James Bond. So Anthony Horowitz has written three James Bond novels. Uh, he says that Bond lives by a different moral code to the one we have now. Who'd have thought James <laughs> Bond lives by a different moral code? You mean he's not an intersectional feminist? Yeah, yeah. That's really weird. Yeah, so he says he's not going to write any more James Bond books now that the money's settled in his account for the last one. Uh, and yeah, he says, uh, when I'm writing the books, I always uh, hear Sean Connery and see Daniel, C Daniel Craig, and he lives by a different moral code, uh, and he, he refutes the suggestion that James Bond is chauvinistic or sexist or misogynistic, which seems crazy. I mean, he definitely is all those things. I mean, he's absolutely those things. That's part of the appeal, isn't well, it? This, this is basically how I see Leo. I mean, <laughs> I, I hear Sean Connery, I see Craig David, you know, drinking the milk. Craig, Craig David? Who the hell's Craig David? <laughs> I can't see the resemblance, I'll be honest. But I mean, this is, a, this is an interesting one because James Bond, obviously Ian Fleming's creation, yep. he is going to be a bit sexist, misogynistic, he's a rogue. Yep. He also, by the way, kills people, which yeah. is more my issue with James Bond rather than the misogyny. I think they're, they're shooting people in the face. Yeah, without yeah it's a problem, isn't it? Yeah, that it is, is a, a slight issue. And uh, what I do like about this is Harowitz doesn't, He's quite happy to defend James Bond. He sees James Bond as the character of its time. Yeah. And you don't often read that anymore, do you? So yeah, you just you, these people take these, you know, they write these books and they say it's disgusting. I don't know what, <laughs> how much is in the bank account. I'm on my way now. And, and and that's what they tend to do, don't they? They, yeah. they tend to just appease. But also, but Paul, said, oh. what is this thing about people not being able to understand uh, that fictional characters might not be morally pure? Right. Wow. Go and read the Flashman novels. I mean, for goodness sake. Well, it, sometimes it's quite fun and interesting and entertaining yeah. uh, to to explore moral ambiguity in fiction. Yeah. There, I said it. I just want <laughs> David as the new James Bond. That would be quite good. I think <laughs> that would work. Well, I failed on a Tuesday. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I say, Leo. What, same. That's why you thought he was like Craig David. Because <laughs> of his lovely singing voice. Anyway. Back with Wednesday's Metro and Wimbledon has a long line of diva-ish behaviour. McEnroe, Becker, Cliff Richard. But this year's biggest diva is in trouble. Paul, what's this about? Nick Kyrgios. She looks like she's had 700 drinks. Now, I love Nick Kyrgios, and anyone who watched Wimbledon, I'm sure he split people down the middle, but I thought he was hilarious. I think it was the best thing about Wimbledon this year. He didn't win. He was in the final, but he didn't win. I'm surprised that there isn't the umpires that are suing him because of the way he spoke to the umpires. Oh, but yeah. There was a spectator that he'd accused, that was accused by Nick Kyrgios, of having about 700 drinks. She kept talking to him, she was heckling him. And During he, his serve and yeah, stuff, right? And, so, and, and he was insinuating that she'd had, that she would had too much to drink. Well, I mean, what I don't understand about this, she's taking him to court, saying this is defamatory, right? Mm. I can't see how it is. What, what he actually said was, uh, he, go, he goes to the umpire and says, can you sort out this woman who looks like she's had about 700 drinks, bro? Right, and he says, looks 
looks like, for one thing. Yeah. But that's his perception, his opinion. Yeah. 700 drinks is obviously hyperbolic. It's, he wasn't actually libeling her, or slandering her, rather, and saying she has had, she has drunk 700 drinks. How is this a case? Yeah, I mean, this is... Uh, I mean, it's not defamatory. I'll, I'll defame her right now. She definitely had 700 drinks. There we go. At that... At that, uh, that <laughs> I mean, to, to bring this case, she must have had 700 drinks. It's insane. She's like yeah. the worst comedy heckler of all time. You know, you get those people, those, it's, it's always women with like, you know, the glass of white wine. And uh, <laughs> you always have to bring it back to your like, casual oh, misogyny. They're like, oh, I, was, I was trying to help. I was trying to help by heckling you. She wanted you know? a reaction. Yeah. And Nick Kyrgios is a man to push to get a reaction. Mm. And this was the tamest reaction that he gave that during was tame. Wimbledon. What I love about this is the quote from her, I am not litigious. <laughs> but, <laughs> I think you might be. But after some consideration, and we know what... He's got a lot of money, and maybe yeah. I want some of that. Who knows? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Have I just defamed her there? I mean, her threshold for defamation is really low. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll, even we'll all be in court. But we'll you know. be in court. That'll be fun. Yeah, OK, might... anyway, we're going to move on now to the next one from the Daily Mail. Uh, this is a horrible story. <laughs> no, this is quite funny. So a man in Ghana has cut off his penis while dreaming about chopping meat for his family. Uh, he's called Kofi Atta. He's a farmer for, from South Ghana, and uh, he suffered the horrific self-inflicted injury on August the 12th after dozing off... I'm going to stop you there, because we have got a picture of... No, we what? don't. No, we don't. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> uh, well, he, he's dreaming about uh, preparing uh, foods. He, he told reporters he had been uh, given fluids... Oh, no, this is afterwards. Uh, so af after the thing... I mean, the, basically, the, the explanation of it... Uh, is all in uh, pidgin English, so I can't say it without sounding incredibly no. racist. No, so you can't. No, I'll, I'll have a go. Uh, no, I no I... remember how Carrie the knife, even me, I day confused. After said the BBC reporters, I day sit inside chair way I doze off. So as I day sleep, I dream say I day cut meat we day in front of. Right, me. Um, I'm going to put a stop to this. Um, I think, um, <laughs> yeah, but actually, no, you, you sounded all right. Dude. That's what it says. That's, that's what, what it says. It says. Now I'm, the I'm thing about this is. Was he? He was dreaming of meat. He must have been naked, pres presumably, sleeping with a knife next to him. Something is fishy about all of this. None of this adds up. It doesn't add up. The first thing I did when I finished reading this article was say to myself, "Sure, mate. Right. <laughs> Something okay. else has yeah. happened here." Uh, why? Have you, I mean, no one. Who, who's dreaming about cutting up meat for their family? What sort of dreams is this man having? This is your dream, mate. I mean, if it's real, it's horrible. It, uh, well, well, I'm sure it's real. I'm sure he's cut off his... Yeah. Unless well, the, he's done it to get in the paper. There is a condition called uh, parasomnia uh, where you can wake to find you've performed uh, undesirable actions while yes, you're sleeping. Yes, totally so, true. Uh, Often used as a defence in court. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And this, this can uh, range from uh, talking to strange body movements, uh, full-blown sleepwalking, and even intricate physical tasks, such as cutting off your own penis. Yeah. I think what happened was <laughs> somebody cut off his penis. He didn't want the shame of... Uh, and I hope he doesn't sue me... Like, like that woman sued the tennis player. But I think somebody might have cut off his penis and he didn't want the shame of other people Fair knowing enough. that that had happened, so he's saying... He well, was... I think he'll sue you for your terrible impersonation of him. <laughs> anyway, on... I know D think that. Well, we'll see you in court. <laughs> on to Wednesday's Daily Mail, and who better to discuss this next story than the three of us? Paul! <laughs> Finally, a subject we're qualified to talk about. Delaying the menopause by even a few years could extend a woman's lifespan, Leo. Right, this is a new study, yes? The, the, um... It is a new study. Uh, since the hormonal change triggers faster ageing across the rest of the body, an expert says Dr Jennifer Garrison, an award-winning scientist who leads the Buck Institute for Research of ageing, on ageing, sorry, warned the process changes the body's hormone balance, sparking a more rapid decline. Mm. So the point here is, she said, 
said that women who begin the menopause in their 40s rather than around 51 um, age differently and okay. are likely to look older. Can, can you delay it? I don't think you can. I mean, um, well, like, said, like I said, I mean, yeah, I did say I was an expert, but I'm not entirely an expert. Leo, can you delay the menopause? Probably. You can take hormones and stuff. But the, the, what she's saying is, uh, you know, so if you if you have the menopause earlier, you're going to die earlier. But surely having the menopause is a marker that you're aging faster. So, you know, it's like saying, um, I, I don't know, what, what's not going bald because people go bald at different rates, but... Um, getting arthritis or uh, or something. Or but surely, the, but the, the, surely the scientists behind this study must have some qualifications and understand what they're saying. Uh, scientists make all kinds of stuff up. Look at, <laughs> look at climate change and COVID. It's an absolute <laughs> so, yeah. And that whole ozone layer thing. <laughs> yeah, they just yeah. made that up. Yeah, I've been I've been going without an ozone layer for years. <laughs> that is rain. But yeah, so surely you know if you, if this thing that happens in your life happens sooner, that means you're aging faster because that's a marker that happens like halfway through your life. Yeah. Is this yeah. saying that you're right? Sorry, Andrew. Is this saying that you're aging faster or that you look like you are? Because some women have early. Um, menopause, like in their mm. late twenties, early thirties. So uh, they're not dying when they get to fifty-one, are they? They just well, hopefully. <laughs> Goodness <laughs> sake! Uh, outrageously. Well, I know uh, mothers are called geriatric mothers if they're thirty-five years oh, yeah. or over, which is you know, are they? Which is every middle-class mother in London. I mean, yeah, so exactly. insulting. Well, I'm going to stick my neck out and say we have no idea about that subject. So let's move on very quickly. <laughs> you, you do not, Leo. Right, this one, Leo. This what's this about? Not eating meat? Uh, more uh, science nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> researchers from the University of Leeds, who've got a university now apparently, looked uh, around about twenty-five thousand women between the ages of thirty-five and. 69, uh, nothing uh, perverted about it though. They, they were looking at the uh, risk of uh, hip fractures uh, according to diet. Yeah. So they found yes. that if, if you're a vegetarian, you have a greater risk of hip fracture. But only if you're female? Only if you're a female. Well, I, I don't think they looked at uh, men. So oh, well, that's why we, we don't. That's why it just they, says they, that. They couldn't find enough men who are vegetarian. They didn't. I'm a vegetarian. They could have come to me. They how, didn't how are your hips? They're all right. <laughs> it does say here that they are more likely to fracture their hips, but they don't say how or why. I think, well, hip fracture is, uh, is, a, is a good marker for bone density and osteoporosis. Right. Yes. And things so they're having a fall. Yeah, yeah, so you, if you fall, you're more likely to, to break your hips. You know, it's, it's going to be the thing that goes first. So, and also uh, the spine as well. So but, what are they saying? You should eat meat just to make sure you keep your hips in place? I don't think they're saying that because that would go against everything else, else that's been said. And also, if you go into the supermarket, there's all this, like, plant-based stuff. Yeah. It's, super, it's more expensive than meat, and it's, uh, it's always there as well because nobody wants to buy it. Uh, so they're really trying to push this, uh, this plant-based diet on us. The, you know, the, the so what, wait a minute, I don't understand, because this is saying that if you're more likely to break your hips if you, if you don't have meat. Yeah. But you're saying that the article is suggesting that there are other ways, other alternatives. Yeah, they say, like, you know, you can take bone-building nutrients. Man, just, just eat some eggs and some steak. Nobody ever, you know, like, just eat eggs and steak. And if you're worried about, um, you know, the... But the ethics. The ethics, then eat lamb, because it's reared uh, free-range. It's, you know, you can't intensively... Well, I don't want to start eating meat. I will eat the placenta of a chicken or whatever those eggs are. <laughs> you know, I'll do that, but I, no, not the... Not the other stuff. Okay. Anyway, let's move on now. This one is from uh, uh, Wednesday's Mail now. What's this about? Chips for brains. Neurotechnology could be used as a way to control crime, as an alternative to imposing a jail sentence. So essentially, what? this is this is putting techno like a, a, a technolo technology helmet on your head, which yes. controls your behaviour. Wait, no, it's putting a chip inside your brain. Well, this, it says that here stops you committing crimes, right? 
Yeah, so neurotechnologies are brain implants or pieces of wearable tech right. that interact directly with your brain by monitoring or influencing neuroactivity. Absolutely terrifying, Andy. It's horrible. I mean, also, this article says the chips may be susceptible to hacking. Exactly. So you put one of these helmets on and some, uh, you know, malevolent uh, gangster hacks into your brain and gets you to go and steal money from a bank. Yeah, Chinese Communist Party hacks right. into your brain. Well, it doesn't have to be them, it can be anyone. You yeah. become really industrious. ISIS, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I just, look, I know this... could this, be the... We could yeah. solve a few things here. <laughs> I'm really not into this. Like, this whole, you know, there's this thing called tra transhumanism, where we're going to go go beyond... I'm not talking about transitioning gender. You're going beyond yeah. humanity by, by making yourself more intelligent. You could, I suppose, have access to the internet in your brain mm. if they shove a chip in there, but they also completely destroy your soul, yeah. your humanity. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's absolutely horrible. I'd rather got a Transhumanist phobic. Um, well, I mean, and also this this meddles with the idea of free will. So yes. they're, they're implying that there are people with uh, you know biases in their brains, yes. overactive parts of their brain that make them more likely to commit crimes. Yes. And uh, obviously, our, our whole uh, criminal justice system is based around the fact that you know you sort of decide to commit a crime. Otherwise, yeah. you know, if you're not responsible for it, if it's not a if it's not a, a decision, then why bother putting somebody you on trial? Might, it wasn't their fault. Exactly, you could blame on it. You might have the wrong download. It could all go wrong one day, and you just say to the job, I'm sorry, I don't know what But this is the reason why we don't do things like chemical castration for yeah. sex offenders and stuff, because, it's, you know, you can't start messing with who a human being is yeah. using, by, by the means of science. No. You know, however much you might think there is utility to that, there is a real ethical issue yeah. with this. Yeah. Huge it's, problem. It's mad, anyway. This is where... And we're going to see more of this as uh, government is just creeping up in the, the sort of share of... GDP yeah. that each nation spends. So the public sector is, is growing in power, which means we're just gradually going to drift towards autocracy and communism. I'm, well, on that positive note, let's <laughs> move on. All I can say about that is I don't want to be a cyborg. I'm not going to let it happen. Anyway, next one. Uh, it's about something very bendy, but remarkably tough. <laughs> so enough about me. Leo, what's, <laughs> what has the Times got for us? So uh, graphene, uh, which is a wonder material uh, formed of carbon atoms, uh, I think spread out in a matrix, uh, in an octagon, is that right? I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, anyway, when, when it was discovered, it was, you know, carbon can form all these like crazy structures. Like there's, uh, there's nanotubes and there's uh, the buckyballs. But graphene... Are you just is... making words up? No, <laughs> these, are, these are serious things. Am I right? It, well, it, those well, words are in there. I, the didn't, I didn't understand them. Bucky, but that sounds like a character from a cartoon. <laughs> Basically, carbon is, a, is an incredible uh, substance. So it's, it's in everything. It's, well, it's in us, and it's in uh, so, so much electronics. It's, uh, it's in uh, pencils. Um, but in science lesson. <laughs> Leo the science guy on headliners. So anyway, about 20 years ago, it was, uh, graphene was discovered, and it's a, it's a mesh of... Uh, a, a single atom-thick uh, mesh of, of carb okay. carbon atoms. And, uh, you know, it was more conductive than copper, more flexible than rubber, tougher than diamond. I mean, obviously, diamond is made out of carbon atoms as well. Um, and, uh, you know, it was supposed to herald all these, like, miraculous uh, new uh, technologies. Well, how come I've only ever heard of it tonight? The reason you've only heard of it, and I'm sorry, I'm going to steal your thunder slightly here, Leo, is that it went from being revered as an electronic material to becoming a pair of underpants. That's how they <laughs> sold it. That's But electronic underpants, isn't it? Who doesn't want those? <laughs> I'm, I'm so confused. <laughs> so they found this incredible m m material that could change the world, and they turned it into a pair of underpants. That's they thought it was and, best. and then and so no one went along with it basically basically this this story like this guy uh, is by Simon Thomas who's the founder of paragraph and th there's a political bias behind this story because he is complaining that he's not getting enough subsidies 
for his company or something. Right. So he's saying, you know, we would have made miracle ap applications with graphene before, but but we didn't because we weren't getting money from the government or whatever. I see. Um, and I think we already are. We're uh, using graphene in electrical circuits. It's, be it's being used. It's being applied. And so now it's going to be used a lot, whole lot more. That's what the article's saying. Well, the next story uh, is the same guy. Uh, he's just sent out press releases to yeah. everyone. Uh, he's threatened to leave the country. Uh, over what he calls political paralysis and a lack of clarity in national industrial strategy, particularly related to carbon-based underpants. Okay. <laughs> Can you imagine that being the reason you left the country at this time? With everything that's going on... Well, I'll tell you what, that. I think I've had enough of graphene because I don't really, still don't really understand what it is. Let's move on to Wednesday's Times. Uh, much older technological discoveries with this uh, Arrow from 1,500 years ago found in melting ice. Archaeologists have found a perfectly preserved... 1,500-year-old arrow inside a glacier. A team of seven people from Secrets of the Ice. <laughs> Secrets Ooh. of the Ice. Part of the local council's glacier uh, archaeology program discovered the arrow in some mountains right. in Norway. Now, they said that they were on a reindeer hunting site. Yes. So uh, the, I, there's nothing in here that proves to me that it wasn't just, you know, from last week. Uh, well, uh, we, we should trust them, right? We, they're, they're they are scientists, and Leo has taught me never to trust science <laughs> or science. So they're saying the arrow was from AD 300 to 600. It's quite specific. They it, have. It makes sense, because people aren't making arrows anymore. Yeah, there is that. If you want to kill a reindeer, you just walk up to it with an AK-47. And what are the implications for this? Why are archaeologists so happy about finding this arrow? Well, because, because of the way it's so well-preserved, it can right. tell us a lot about that time okay. and what we need to know right now above all else is what was happening 1500 years ago why not i think it's really important anyway we're going to move on now to tomorrow's daily mail and a hairy beast is roaming around kent i thought josh harry was in crete <laughs> it's not that hairy on the top of his head but um yeah so the first uh, bison to roam the British countryside since the Ice Age, I mean, that film was out, what, 10 years ago? Yes. Uh, are already <laughs> making a remarkable impact on the, lo on the local environment just one month after being released. So they released uh, a matriarch, so an older female bison, and two younger females um, because they wanted some, uh, they wanted some drama. Uh, they released <laughs> them to uh, West Bleen and Thorndon Woods near Canterbury, Kent, as part of a £1.2 million pound project uh, of, of your money, taxpayers' money, to rewild Britain and help slow global warming. I'm not sure. <laughs> Put yeah, but bison in the three of them. But wait a minute. Help global warming. Well, apparently it's really helped the, lo the local ecosystem because they've been creating trails through brambles and, and the other animals are enjoying their, these new passageways. This and... sounds like made-up and... nonsense. <laughs> and humans are going nowhere near them. Now, I like a ramble, Andrew. Do you like a ramble? I love a I love ramble, a walk, yeah. but I am... I am terrified of cows. I'm trying to overcome it, trying all sorts of ways. They kill six people a year, Leo. It's not a laughing matter, cows. OK, mate? No. Cows, well, they, we do. Used to, they we do. Used to, not with knives. No, because I, I, grew, I grew up with cows and uh, we used to go and... He was raised by cows, yeah. <laughs> we used to get them to chase us. So if you go to, towards a really? herd of cows and then, like, sort of walk away from them, they start following it. If yeah. you start running, they start running. And then, like, you jump over walls and stuff so, and they just come battering I'm very, walls. I'm very confused about this because aren't bison very dangerous? Now, they, they've introduced these three females. I believe they're going to introduce a male as well and I, I was watching Planet of the Apes the other day and I know how this begins and I know where this yeah. leads I mean they, they will run they're dangerous big hairy beasts also, they are massive also they're loved by the Nazis according to this we article. might as well bring wolves back yeah well they are bringing wolves back they want to they want to make wolves more common in Scotland don't they they want to they want definitely I'm wild wolves. Coming back in Scotland. well yeah because uh, wolves would eat some of the rubbish that the SNP can't <laughs> <have>. <laughs>
Yeah, but that would solve that. Two birds with one stone. Anyway, we're going to finish now with the telegraph, my favourite German word. What's this about, Paul? Doppelganger. Or doppelgangers. Word, it? It's a great word, isn't it? I'm not sure what it literally translates to, but uh, basically people who look alike, isn't it? Yes. Doppelgangers don't just look alike, they are alike, Andrew. There is a strong correlation between people who look similar and their lifestyles and behavioural traits, genetic study shows. So basically people who look alike are probably distantly related and therefore they have predispositions to behave in certain ways. But doesn't this uh, lead us down the road of physiognomy, you know, the old Middle Ages practice of being able to read people's looks to decide on their character and sort of make all sorts of assumptions about people? And their skull shape. I mean, they, they do That's say... That's phrenology, isn't it, when you feel, feel their, yeah, for the yeah. lumps on their head? Yeah, yeah, to find out if they're a criminal or not. <laughs> um, Bring that back. <laughs> yeah, when they check the genetic profiles, uh, this, and these are scientists, by the way, yes. they found out that people who looked alike had similar DNA. <laughs> what do they think DNA does? <laughs> Obviously, it's going to make people look alike. It's DNA. Yeah, but there's an odd... That's what DNA does. Yeah, but there's an odd thing, because they're saying that people who are not at all related, they tend to have, if they look similar, they have similar kind of habits when it comes to even, like, what type of food they like, what type of games they like to play. Well, isn't this a bit creepy? Like tall people duck when they walk through doorways? Well, that, you know, I get that, but there's, isn't there something a bit sinister about it? Well, that? yeah, well, I don't know if sinister's the right word, but I guess people who do look the same are treated by the rest of the human race the same. Same, yeah. Therefore, probably behave the same in response to that. Yeah. So this sort of doesn't feel like big news to me. It's, no, it's not. It's certainly not. That's why we left it till last fall. <laughs> this is what we call the scraping the bottom of the barrel part of the show. Definitely not big news, but it's, it's interesting nonetheless. It's very interesting. And I'm interested in this physiognomy idea because you know people assume they could tell your moral character by how you look. But Stalin was gorgeous when he was young. Did you oh, see it? Like, yeah, beautiful, incredible. Man. And also criminology, uh, criminology, and criminal science moved from uh, assuming that the, the person was re responsible for the crime to the environment is responsible for Right. It. Well, very interesting. We could go on about that for hours, but we don't have hours. We have 10 seconds. That's all we've got time for. Thanks to my guest, Leo Kurs and Paul Cox. And Leo and I will be back tomorrow with headliners at 11 o'clock. See you then. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.